Are you tired of hearing mental health from a superficial view and you want to hear about realistic views? Well, you come to the right place. A space where healing is central, but also normalized. Your hosts, Danica and Myra, who are in the mental health field, will explore topics to help promote healing in your everyday life. Through our podcast, you will get the real and the work to focus on your healing. Welcome. Hey y'all, we're back with a new episode. So today, instead of it just being us two, because I know that was probably getting boring, um, we have a guest and her name is Desiree Hamilton. And Desiree is the creator of Supervision Support. It's a podcast, a blog, and a directory for mental health interns to connect with supervisors. It was birthed out of her supervisor going ghost on her. And the directory houses almost 300 supervisors. Wow, that's a lot. And it goes across 25 states and it's steadily growing. Last year, she had her first conference, which was amazing. Highly suggest that she go to the next one. We'll share details about that when she drops it for us. And a special thing about Desiree is she's a creative therapist and she envisions herself also creating ways for other therapists to be creative and think about therapy in a more creative way. So I'll let Donika take over and start us off with our favorite part of the pod which is a random scenario. So Desiree, uh-huh. um, I hope you're ready for this random scenario. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so um, let's say that you, um, let's say that you was awarded a million dollars. What would you do with it? Um, I would pay off my student loans first. <laughs> um I that has that's a burden that many people um who aspire to be highly educated has to deal with so um because I have two master's degrees uh you can imagine (laughs) so that's the first thing that I'll do um and then after that I would go ahead and like really just sort of risk it all and pursue all of the things that I wanted to do, which isn't many different things, but like I would want to start a school um, and I would really like push my agenda for like healing, um, healing black women. Um, and then I don't know exactly what that would look look like, but I would being that I have, because the money would allow me to have access and time um, I think then I would spend a lot of uh, my time just laser focused on, on those two agendas. Nice. All right. Come on, humanitarian. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. So, Desiree, can you tell us a little bit about, like, what it looks like to be a mental health counselor? Because we're NFTs and we're not really familiar with that field. So, we want to get, like, a little glimpse into your world. What does that look like? Yeah, sure. So, 
to be a mental health counselor, I mean, I am very well versed in the process for all of us and all of the principals to get um, licensed and it virtually looks the same, right? So we go to school, we do supervision, we take the test, we get licensed, right? That's the process for everybody. Um, I got a dual degree in mental health counseling and marriage and family therapy, so I can be licensed in both. Um, and I did that specifically because I wanted the not because I knew that I was going to work with women and my the way that I would want to, I wanted to work with them was through Bowen. So because um, I just love thinking about family systems and just family systems period, um, I wanted that knowledge. But um, where I live, and that's one thing who anyone who wants to come in this field, where you live really matters on the kind of license that you should get. So um, I think social work is just anywhere, but I know that over in California, MFTs is where it's at. And then <laughs> over here on the East Coast, um, social work and mental health counseling is like the where, where we go. So in mental health counseling, I didn't want to do social work. It was too broad. All I wanted to do was clinical work. So when I um, decided that I was going to go this route, um, I chose mental health counseling because it is, a, I knew that I was going to graduate knew, knowing how to be a really good clinician. So it was focused on mental health and diagnosing and clinical practice and learning your approaches and um, all of all of the stuff that I knew that I would want to utilize to help people heal. Um, I didn't want to know, know about all the other stuff. <laughs> That's all I wanted. I was laser focused. I didn't care about the other stuff. And not that the other things don't impact, but I feel like everyone has their space in the mental health field. That was in my space. My space was in the room with the people hands on. So, um, so far when I graduated, I did everything from um, addiction. I worked with addiction right in my um internship before i graduated i worked with the dv population and i would have like like 15 clients in a day just like seeing them back to back to back Ooh. to back and i was energized by that so i knew not to say that i wasn't i wasn't exhausted <laughs> let's be real right because you do get exhausted but um i was energized by that and that's how i knew that this is what i wanted to do i didn't i i knew that this is where i should be so um then i did uh, um i worked in a shelter for uh, um youth and that was really good um and then i even tried to kind of do something a little different where i worked with families who needed um support because they like were like in financial constraints. So we, they would come in, it was like a little bit of case management, a little bit of counseling. And that I did not want to do that. I stayed there four months and quit. So <laughs> it was like, I need to be in the session doing the hard work. Um, so that's how it is. It's really, I think it's very much like what you guys do. I mean, I don't really think it's that big of a difference. Only thing is that you guys really focus, or at least in your programs, you are really taught through um, the lens of families and the lens of systems, yep. um, which I love. And if Florida was more a MFT state, then I would have went with that licensure um, as well. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing us, sharing with us about your journey, and just for our listeners, um, we hope that if you all stay with us, you kind of learn different um, therapists. You heard these different words, counselors. Um, what else are some other words? Clinicians, that's kind of just the word. Psychotherapists. So if, if y'all keep listening, y'all kind of pick up on it and we'll 
you know, we'll inform you all as much as we can. But going to our next question, uh, Desiree, we were inspired by your latest uh, podcast episode on therapists struggling in silence. Yeah. And we were wondering, what sparked that topic for you? So um, I spoke a little bit about it in in the the episode, but I am a part of a lot of um, groups for mental health professionals. And in one of the social work groups that I'm a part of, um, this lady came in and she was just looking for help. I can't remember right now what exactly what it was, but the con- there was like one specific comment that sort of was like attacking her and just sort of like um, judged. There was a lot of, it was a lot of judgment in there. And you know what? Oh, okay. This is what it was. So the woman was in a domestic violence um, relationship. She was in a relationship where she experienced domestic violence and the person went on and was like, oh, I went to her profile and saw that she was a social worker. And I don't know how she just like couldn't realize that she needs to keep her house as a safe haven or something just absolutely ridiculous. Right. And for me, it was just like, well, it's so unfair for us as clinicians to um, be pushing out resources and be, you know, healing people under the guise that we ourselves are not going through things like that's not fair we are human we go through things as well and we are not exempt from dv we aren't exempt from disease we aren't exempt from drama we aren't exempt from anything right this is just simply our profession so i felt that it was really unfair that we could not have a safe space where we could go and utilize some of the very same resources that we're pushing out for our clients. We should have access to that too. Um, so for me, it was like, well, it, the, because of the shame and things like that, it made me feel like we are not able to go out and feel safe to get the, the, the help that we need because we're judged, because we're the clinician and we should be the ones that should have it together. Um, so it kind of came from there. Wow. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I think that that was one of the reasons why, like, me and Myra, like, it's why we're excited to do this podcast, because we as clinicians, therapists, we get to be vulnerable, we get to be ourselves, we're telling our stories while also uh, being able to share it with others. And we're we're normalizing us as therapists, as people. So I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, Um, and then just to, just to add a little bit more about normalizing it, um, I'm really big. So when you're, you guys are, are more fresh out of school than me, mm-hmm. um, and I remember when I was in in school that it was like, oh, don't disclose, you know, don't don't say anything, you know, just kind of keep this robotic, um, you know, tone in the rooms, and only if it's helpful for the people, which. I feel like does common sense, right? <laughs> you, I don't think you're a good clinician if you're sitting in there talking about yourself the whole time. <laughs> so I understand what that's about, but I, you know, I tend to, um, I want to work with women in a certain population because it resonates with me. And I think a lot of um, clinicians do that anyway. So I shared a little bit about um, my own journey, just like with me, just like, canceling my wedding and going through all of this like trauma and stuff in my old relationship. And I found that it was so funny that I had like pretty much ran out of my house with my baby on my hip and then started my internship the next day. (laughs) And then I had like women who were going through the same thing. And then because we are therapists or we're the helping people, we feel 
you know, that, that imposter syndrome might come up. Like, well, I don't even have my stuff together. How am I telling these people this? But that actually was fuel for me. You know, like I sat there and I was able to, it humbled me like beyond, (laughs) you know, anything. Sometimes when we don't go through things, we can be a little arrogant. So for me, it was like, I was completely humbled and I understood these women in a way that I probably would have never understood them um, had I not gone through that. So it's very important um, as clinicians who are struggling, you know, like I had to seek my own therapy and I had to reach out to some of those same resources, but it still had that air of like, "Mm, you know, I I don't really know what people are going to think when they find out what I do. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. So this next question that we want to ask is, <clears throat> sorry, I apologize. Um, what are your thoughts on, and I know where we were talking about therapists um, struggling in silence, but just people in general, what are your thoughts on why people choose to struggle in silence and specifically people of color? So I don't think we, I, well, it's, it's two things for me. I think that um, we don't talk about things enough as people of color, as women of color. And then I feel like women of color almost get praised for the struggle and praised for how much horrible things they can go through and then come through, you know, get through it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is healthy. And I don't think that it promotes them asking for help. So because we don't acknowledge mental health enough in the community, and there is a shift, you know, the more that people are talking about it in popular society, they are like people that look like us are reaching out help for help more, but it's, it's a slow shift and it, it's somewhere we, we still have a lot of work to do um, because it isn't speaking, spoken enough about and because we don't really know what's out there. And then because the, our culture counteracts asking for help, I just don't think that it's a natural thing for us to say, okay, I'm going to he- get help or I'm usually it's like if I'm struggling, you know, you go you go to church, you pray it away or you don't say anything about it or you speak to your girlfriends or you do something like that. And there, no one really pushes you to go outside of yourself, outside of your um, comfort zone, outside of your immediate circle to get help because it may be seen as you're crazy or it may be seen as that you're weak and you're not strong enough. Right. Do you think it's specific to Black women? Like, do you think there's differences in the, like, the... Absolutely. I don't think any other race gets high fives for struggling. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think, you know, there's this whole strong Black woman narrative that I will not ascribe to because uh, uh, some days I'm not strong. And then some days I need a lot of help. And some days I feel like I need to be really clingy and really weak and really just like upset. And I am 100% entitled to it, just like the other women. So absolutely, I think Black women, unfortunately, get this burden of being so strong. And I think it really impacts us in healthcare. It impacts us in all types of different places that we are, we, it's, it's like we have like superhuman human strength or we um, don't feel things the way that other people feel. Mm-hmm. So a- absolutely, I do, I do think it impacts us differently than other people yeah absolutely yes as, as a black 
woman I completely feel like if I'm going through something you know they'll oh stay strong stay strong and like you say I you would be strong today and I won't be <laughs> <laughs> I need help For real. <laughs> and I know you kind of mentioned a little bit about like um like where, where do you think we get this from like internal like where where do we get this strong mentality struggling in silence where do we get that I mean, I think it's just a historical thing. There's a historical context where we, I mean, just from our very existence in this country, we've been struggling. Like, I don't think there was ever a time, I mean, that at least we know about or, or documented where it hasn't been a struggle. Like, I, history in this country has always started as a struggle. So I just don't think any, it, it, I just don't think Black people as a whole get the luxury of, of, like softness and care and being vulnerable. Like we've never been able, we've never been afforded that opportunity to do that. So we really have not had an oppor uh, a choice, but to be strong, right? So like, and I think this, this is a great thing that we're able to do is we, we know how to turn, you know, some lemons into lemonade and then, you know, we, we will make it a positive thing. Well, okay, yeah, I'm strong and, and this is why. And I can, I can get through all of this stuff and I can be the strong woman and I don't need any help and I don't want to do that. But I think that it, it hurts us if we, if we don't, I think we are strong and we're powerful and we are intelligent, but we are a human just like anyone else. And we need help just like everybody else. So then that makes me ask, like when you're working with clients, what have you found has been like some helpful tools to help them to step out of that silence? Like what are some things that you've done with them? Yeah. Well, me just showing up in a room, I immediately I think to myself about the youth that I worked with and the youth that I worked with were anywhere between 17 and 21. Um, and me just showing up in a room meant a lot for them. Um, I was young, I was black. And even though for, for, for them, it was like, you were well-spoken, you know, I always let them know that this, I didn't always sound like this. I didn't always... <laughs> <laughs> you know the beauty of our struggle is that we learn how to 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 assimilate and we learn how to do things mm -hmm. and we know how to get what we need to do and 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 um they just what I, what I found is that just I needed to be able to hold the space for them yeah right so I had to create the space and I had to hold it for them so for the black the the 20 year olds and 18 year old black men that I had as clients would come into my office I would literally just sit there you know I would of course you know use my clinical skills and build a relationship with them but sometimes they just needed me to be there they just needed me to just hold the space for them for yeah. them to be angry for them to be vulnerable for them to 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 show all parts of themselves because literally there's nowhere else for them to do that mm -hmm. Yeah, I think holding space for people is so important. Like it says a lot, even just holding the space and just listening. Yeah. Like it does mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then I want to ask, what will be your takeaway for our listeners? Like what is something that you want them to do throughout the week that kind of resonates with this, theme, ugh, with this theme of like Black Superwoman Syndrome? Um, anything related to that? What would be something that you would tell them to practice throughout the week? I would say, and and I'm, Personally, this week has been just a harder week emotionally for me. Um, and what I've been telling myself and what works for me when I get into these spaces where I feel like I have to keep going, even though I know that I can't, um, is to be deliberate in pausing, right? So 
and and asking for help even if you feel embarrassed even if you feel like you aren't really sure what's going to happen but most often than not the the if you have good people around you and you let them in to your world they want to help you and they want to support you mm-hmm. um so i would i would say that if if you are struggling with something if you're having a difficult week or a difficult day to ask for help yeah. or to just and if you can't get to the point where you ask for help because it's really hard to do mm-hmm. you you have to make room for yourself and you have to hold space for yourself you have to stop you know take a day um take a couple hours but you have to you have to stop otherwise you're gonna just burn out mm-hmm. and crash yeah <laughs> kind of like taking time to take off that cape then that's what i'm hearing kind of like that theme yes mm-hmm. yes good you better use your skills Lara. <laughs> <laughs> I just said taking off the cape. I mean, I'll even share an article with our listeners, but I mean, there's been so much research that's been being done like about black women in general, about like us in this cape that we need to take off. And it's so hard because just like historically, we've never had the chance to take off the cape. So even with her just saying like, just taking some time to yourself, that's taking off your cape. I mean, you're taking it a step further if you're reaching out to somebody. That's really taking off your cape, sitting yeah. down and taking a few steps away from it. Yeah. But building up. <laughs> yeah, and I don't and I don't mean like this, you know, the self-care kind of stuff. Like I feel like self-care is such an overused word at this yeah, point. It is. Um what because I was like, oh, people think that it's just like this very uh like uh superficial thing that you do like I have had such a hard two weeks my self-care was taking a day off of work and going to see my therapist so and and that's what I needed to do and I don't care who at work was upset I don't care who like I didn't answer phone calls you know what I mean like I didn't do any of that because I had to hold my space for myself because it was just it was just a hard hard week so um that's that's what your self self-care needs to look like it needs to be holding boundaries it needs to be um you know saying no to things like you it really needs to be something that's going to help you get better mm-hmm. you know and not temporarily but like the long term getting better mm. thank yeah. you so much for all this this is good <laughs> <laughs> thank you for holding space for us absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, you know, everything that you're saying, I'm sure it's going to resonate with our, our listeners. It most definitely is resonating with myself. Um, so I just appreciate having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you guys keep doing this because it's needed. We need um, somewhere to just be frank and just talk about things um so keep doing it is it's i i hope that it just blows up (laughs) (laughs) manifestation (laughs) um okay y'all so we're gonna go into our next segment segment which is usually a quote or book or um some type of something to leave you all to watch or whatever so we usually do a book but we're gonna do something a little different where we're gonna do a quote And so the quote that I thought was best for kind of what we talked about was, um, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, you do better. That's by Miss Maya Angelou. And um, the reason why I think this is relevant to kind of what we talked about, just because 
you know, we're realizing that we can take the cape off. And so now that we know that we can and that we should, we should try to do better. All right, y'all. And I got two things I'm going to share with y'all. Of course, I'm going to share with y'all a discount. So since it's spooky season, I've never seen this before. And Universal Studios is offering um, a discount on their tickets to, I forget what it's called, Fright Fest, something, I don't know. But they have their little Halloween stuff that they do. And so you can find it on Groupon. And then second of all, it's not really a discount, but it's something to do when you are relaxing and unwinding because it's microdermabrasion season, which basically means shedding off that layer of skin that you beat up during the summertime in the sun. And um, I found a few great estheticians. If you're in LA, I suggest LA Beautyologist. If you're in San Diego, I found Steph J. Styles. And um, Fairy Glow Mother is up in the Bay Area. And for my people that are um, on the East Coast, I found Lily of Cave of Beauty. Um, I found a few other ones. So if y'all have like questions or like help and find one in your area, just let us know in the comments and I'll point y'all to some and I'll share the links to all of their Instagrams and where to book them at in the um, about me section or whatever section about um, our podcast. So y'all can just easily check that out. Make sure you tell a friend and tell a friend and make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Bye. But hold on, hold on, hold on. What? That's the announcement, y'all. So oh, the announcement is that our event is going to be our official launch gathering yes. for our pod. It's going to be November 16th from 4 to 6 p.m. The tickets are up in our link on our link tree. You can find it on Facebook our Instagram and the tickets are only $8 and that's going to include refreshments. We're going to give a, we're going to have some giveaways. We're going to have some merch uh, and we're going to have some self-care activities and some other things that you all do not want to miss. The event is open for everyone. So no matter how you identify man, woman, they, uh, non-conforming, whatever it is, we want you there. Yeah. Uh, so yes, y'all get those tickets. Yes. Get those tickets. All right, y'all. Bye. Thank you for tuning into today's podcast. Be sure to drop a comment on any of our platforms or even shoot us an email. We will be back next Monday. Make sure to tell a friend and tell a friend. That is it for today's Black Women's Healing Pod.